0: Today's space is sponsored by the Grizzle Research and Quant Substack and Dolly Varden. So thank you everyone for joining our kickoff for our Mining One-on-One Series. And we're going to dive deep into the mining realm with experts in the field. The goal is to really bring leaders from the mining industry to explain the history, geology, and, and opportunities in the sector. So today, as you all know, we're joined by the one and only Sean Kun Kun, the CEO of Dolly Varden. And just a little bit about them. They're a silver and gold exploration company. That's advancing one of the largest high-grade underdeveloped precious metal assets in BC's golden triangle. And Sean's taken the company's market cap from $20 million to $243 million today. Um, And the shareholder base is about 50% institutional. And some notable strategic investors include Hecla Mining, Eric Sprott, and Fury Gold Mines. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, guys, delighted to be here. Thanks for this opportunity.
0: Hey Sean, thank you so much. And and you know, I would be miss if I didn't ask you just about the current macro environment. Gold cracking through two K. Uh, silver at twenty five dollars. This is a huge. Like, I would love to get your take on where we sit today from a macro environment and the tailwinds for precious metals in this backdrop.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's kind of it's a it's a historic week. It's a historic day. You know, with gold looking like it's ready to put in a new high in U.S. dollar terms. Now, of course, if we looked at a basket of currencies, we've already seen gold break out in almost every currency under the sun. And, um, you know, the, there's a, the, the list is too long to give you the reasons why. But, you know, we saw one of the most significant bank runs in, in history, probably the third most significant in the last hundred years, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, epicentered in in, in in both the U.S. and uh, in Europe. And this is just a time where gold shines the most, right? For gold for 5,000 years has protected people and it's continuing to right now. And, uh, you know, the, the, the tailwinds for both gold and silver have never been stronger.
0: Yeah, you know, it really is like, it, it's a fascinating time and it particularly, you know, when we think about leverage into gold and silver, the physical, uh, the equities really provide that leverage. And I know we're going to get into a little more, more, you know, a little more in detail later, but this, this is a very, very exciting time to be in gold mining a gold and silver well, mining.
1: A hundred percent. But like if, if you were sitting there with a deposit of over $250,000 in a bank account and, you know, you asked yourself, you know, let, let's, let's say you had, you know a million dollars in in a bank account you the decision that you were going to make 2 weeks ago was to take that million dollars and open up four accounts and to have enough that it was covered under the FDIC so that your your deposits were protected or the alternative would be to go around to turn around and buy some gold and so for 5000 years there's been it's there's been the liquidity there's it's it's sound money and so I think the reason gold is catching a bid right now is for those who are out there with wealth, you know, and whether it's in, measured in the tens of millions, hundreds of millions, of billions of dollars, in order for them to protect their wealth, they are turning to gold. And we're in an environment right now where, you know, the the inflation rate that we're being told is out there is, is in the double digit, digits. And we're seeing, you know, it's it's one thing to have your wealth, confiscated or eroded because a a, a bank blows up, but it's another thing for that to be eroded through inflation over time. So, you know, there is a run to hard assets and we've seen it, um, you know, we saw it in real estate, we saw it in art, we, you know, we're even seeing it in, in luxury watches or luxury vehicles. And now finally in US dollar terms, we're starting to see it in precious metals, which, you know, historically have stood the test of time.
0: Well put, and uh, you tweeted a, a great tweet uh, just uh, last week, and I, I put it in the nest. Uh, Don't bet against history; the dollar uh, will not be the world's reserve currency forever. And fantastic chart, looking historically. I recommend everyone look at that tweet. Uh, it went, uh, you know, it did numbers, but it really just really highlights through time the different, uh, you know. Pre- predominant currencies uh, were obviously in the, the U S fiat currency era right now. But through that history, gold has been, um, you know, gold has been the anchor, right? You know, these, the, your, your fiat's will oscillate, but gold, you know, gold will hold, uh, hold your value.
1: And look, you know, uh, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head right now when the fed, um, you know, came into play, whether it was 1913 or 1914, but over a hundred years ago, since, uh, the the establishment of the Federal Reserve, the U.S. dollar has lost 98% of its purchasing power. And if you want to point to Bretton Woods or you want to point to 1971 when Nixon took uh, the U.S. off the gold standard, if you look at that rapid deterioration of the value of the purchasing power of the dollar, and if you look at debt levels, like when I was born, uh, you know, which I'm 42, so you know, the U.S. debt was, a they just c- crossed a trillion dollars for the first time in history under Ronald Reagan. And you look at the advancement of the debt levels today, al- almost under every administration, you've seen doubling of debt levels going back to Reagan's um, uh, presidency. So, you know, we're we're at this point right now where we're at that tipping point. It's the Minsky moment. And I think investors globally are recognizing it. And uh, you know, and, and I, I've what I've witnessed in the 20 years that I've been working with mining companies is central banks have gone from being net sellers of gold to net buyers, and um, so the big money is going into gold. We're seeing big billionaire investors uh, flock to gold, and we need to be doing. We need to be taking their, um, you know, following in their footsteps.
0: Well said, and uh, we uh, Scott. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was two weeks ago. Chris Wood, uh, uh, our our strategist at Grizzle, also strategist at uh, at Jefferies. Um, he put out a great piece for us on gold, and in central banks uh, uh, purchasing uh, of gold was the highest in fifty years. Um, and uh,
1: and that, yeah, definitely a record. Yeah, I know it, that. Uh,
0: you know, in fifty years. And to your point, Sean that was that was that was coming from predominantly outside of G7 countries right like this is the, this is kind of emerging markets just really flexing at this moment
1: and, and Thomas, I'm probably like a lot of your listeners. I don't have tens of millions of dollars. I'm not a central bank. I'm not looking to move a billion. What I, So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for leverage, right? And and so what my 20-year career has taught me is that leverage can be found in mining equities. So for example, if the price of gold, which is currently around $2,000 an ounce, you know, if it goes up to $2,100, well, that's about a 5% move, right? But if you look at a miner or a, a mining company that has millions of ounces in the ground, you're getting leverage on that hundred dollar move to potentially 10 million ounces. And so what ends up happening is, you know, the returns on some of these mining stocks, you know, can be 20 X, 50 X, a hundred X. And, uh, that's where the leverage, and that's where, you know, the little guy like myself or, or other, other young people out there, that are looking to preserve their wealth and purchasing power. Um, that's where the leverage comes in. It's not the physical; it's the miners.
0: One hundred percent, and 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 on that specifically, uh, with respect to un- get getting that leverage from the miners, and really it, it, the impetus for us launching the Mining One Hundred One series as an educational platform for you know investors in you know new to, new to mining or or just a, a refresher, just understanding a. Uh, the history, the geology, and, and how you, you know, how the ways that investors can get the, you know, the best leverage into that. Maybe you could talk about where Dolly Varden is situated. Uh, it's in, the, it's in BC's Golden Triangle. Uh, you know, it's a prolific, it's a prolific resource. Maybe you can give us a bit of history about the region and, and you know, why it's so exciting, particularly for you.
1: Sure. Um, before I do that, I just want to say one thing. It's, it's interesting. This is, you know, mining 101, but I'm <laughs> I'm technically not a miner. You know, I'm not a, a mining engineer. I'm not, not a geologist. Um, but one of the most successful miners that I've ever met is actually an accountant, uh, a guy by the name of Eric Sprott. And so I'm, I'm happy to walk you through, you know, um, you know, a, a, through the, the eyes of a non-technical person. You know my take on um, on on the Golden Triangle and Dolly Varden, but I think some of the most successful investors in the space have been uh, you know non technical. But Thomas, uh, give me that question one more.
0: Yeah, time. no, no it, exactly. What I really want to understand is, you know, how did why BC's Golden Triangle, from your perspective, sure. you know, why it's it's so prolific and. You know, how you as an operator and, and you know, it, taking, yeah. taking this company from 20 million to well over 240 million today, just how, what did you see um, and what's the history of that region? Maybe just give us like the kind of starting point of that region. Yeah, but I, I got to make
1: this personal. And I've got to tell you my story. Um, and, and I think how that ties into why BC and why Northwest BC and why the Golden Triangle. But uh, if I go back a few years, I was looking to, um, to speculate on an area. you know, And I wanted to go to an area. like There's a lot of mature mining camps throughout the world that are sitting on the sides of highways. Where there's been, like you look at in, in central Canada, we have an area that we refer to as the Abitibi. Okay, so, this covers the province of Ontario and Quebec, okay, center of Canada, you know, sort of north of New York. And there's been about 200 million ounces of gold discovered. That is a mature mining camp. There's tons of infrastructure around it. And we find these camps all over the world, whether we go into South Africa, whether we go into the state of Nevada, um, there's mature mining camps where tens if not hundreds of millions of ounces of gold have been discovered so i was i was looking so this is I'm going to take you back It's 2016. I'd been in the in the business for about uh, twelve years, and I was looking for my next frontier, for my next opportunity, and and some of those opportunities lied in the jungles of South America, or in in Africa, and but for me, where I chose to go was north, and so what I was witnessing was I was witnessing the BC government putting a lot of money into infrastructure. So they were improving roads, bringing power into the area, um, improving uh, the deep water seaport. And the other uh, phenomenon I I was witnessing was the melting and the receding of glaciers. So I saw the metal prices going up. I saw this increased infrastructure and I saw this ice melt. And so these new areas that humans had never been on uh, were opening up and new exploration corridors. And so, like, to give you just a bit of history on the Golden Triangle, we we gotta go back to 1898, and that's when you know prospectors first came to the area. But to summarize, you know, a hundred years of history, there was three really big gold deposits that were discovered and taken into production. So starting with the premier mine. So the premier mine. This is around 1920. It was one of the richest gold and silver mines, you know, in that era, and um, and then you know moving forward, you had a huge discovery about 30 years ago called SK Creek, and that was one of the richest mines in the modern era, and more. Most recently, we've had uh, Bruce Jack, and why? And what's really interesting about Bruce Jack is. Bruce Jack was recently acquired for three billion dollars, and uh, and so those are the sort of the, the if you look at the history of the Triangle, those are the three big ones. There's many others. Um, it's interesting. I was actually uh, I was I was looking at um, a report that was done in 1989 about the Golden Triangle, and at that time they talked about the, the this 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 emerging area where. 6 million ounces of gold had been identified. That number today, 30 years later, is 160 million ounces of gold. That's how much growth we've seen in the last couple of decades. And really, it's only been in the last five years or so where that infrastructure has gone in and where these you know huge monster mines, like Bruce Jack, you've got, Eight nine million ounces at grades north of ten grams per ton, so really, really high concentrations of metals in the ground, and like you know Bruce Jack was uh know you know a very 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 small market cap company when it um you know when it was when it was established so like what i've seen in just the last couple of years that dolly varden's been active in the golden triangle is we've seen companies that were valued at 5 million 10 million in the case of dolly varden we were a 20 million dollar company when i took over three years ago and we traded as high as a $300 million valuation yesterday. And, and I think there's a lot of, of work we can still do. And that's at a time in history, Thomas, when gold stocks, gold mining equities are, have never been cheaper relative to where the gold price is.
0: Yeah, incredible. That, that, was, a, that was a great historical backdrop. Of uh, you know, uh, of of the Golden Triangle, and, and it's it so, just the price action we're seeing currently, and it, maybe on that, maybe we can touch on it a bit later. But too, but like the fact that gold equities are the cheapest they've been relative to to the physical, it, it, and maybe on that, and, and with with respect to those those three very large gold deposits, Bruce Jack itself, maybe I can drill so that new. Could you could you talk a little bit more about that and how how that's really, you know, brought has that brought renewed interest and just Well, yeah, let look, let look, look, look
1: and and the way I'd like to sort of approach that is like like the premier mine back in the 20s put the triangle on the map and and then you had, you know, in 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 89 with the discovery of SK Creek, um, you know, that again really drew a lot of attention and and you had um Baric operating uh, at sk you know one of the larger gold miners on the planet and what's interesting about the golden triangle So let's go back to when Barrick was operating at Escape Creek. So this would have been the the mid-1990s. And if we looked at where the U.S. dollar gold price was in the mid-1990s, it was probably averaged around $280 an ounce. So you've got the gold price at $280 an ounce. You've got no power into the Golden Triangle. You have few roads. Okay, so no power, no roads you have a two sub $300 gold price and it was economic for Barrick to produce at SK Creek. They were flying gold, you know, they weren't driving it out. They were flying it out. That's how at, at $280 an ounce. So for me, what drew me to the area was, okay, now that you've got infrastructure. Okay. Now that you've got receding uh, the ice melt and you've got a higher gold price, like, these projects, richest projects that you know, they were in some remote corner of the world that nobody had ever gone to. Um, what you got some tremendous opportunities, but to to really hit on Bruce Jack. So, um, so my my business partner Rob McCloud, um, his uh, he was a director of Dolly Varden. and I'll tell you a lot of the success we've had um, at Dolly, I got to attribute to Rob. Um, and I think Rob's listening right now, so uh, I'm getting some brownie points here. But, um, but, but Rob's uncle Don, who's in the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame, and, and Rob comes from a very famous mining family. Um, his his uh, cousin Bruce just sold Sabina to B2 Gold. His other cousin Catherine is the chair of Kinross, one of the, the one of the larger gold companies out there. But his uncle Don, who's in the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame, uh, his company New Hawk had the Bruce Jack deposit and explored it from 1985 to 1991. And they outlined about a half a million ounces of gold. Um, but where Bruce Jack really took off was in 2009, there was a discovery made, and this is a mine, like there was a, uh, and, and I love it because they call it the Valley of the Kings. And it was, so what they discovered in the Valley of the Kings, 17,000, thousand gram per ton of of gold in a drill intercept and so the exploration that uh, occurred after that discovery out you know so, so 2010 to call it 2015 Made the company make a decision to move the project forward with uh, it with a and commence um, construction. So we started to see commercial production in around 2017-18. But why that was such a pivotal pivotal turning point for the district, for the area, for me, it was because it proved to me that these old historic mines. Um, that you could have a modern mine and not just a modern mine, but we're talking about a 10 million ounce, one of the highest grade mines out on the planet. So Bruce Jack has been, you know, such a shiny example of what you can get in the triangle, but there's, there's other things that I've seen in the last five or six years, like again, like, and these are, whether they're stock opportunities, like I look at Skeena resources that Scott, the old SK Creek project, so, well Skina has gone from a 35 million dollar company I think they went reached a height of 900 million dollars so we're talking about stocks that are going from pennies to dollars a share uh, huge opportunities huge wealth oper- wealth transfer and, and wealth appreciation for investors so you've got companies like Skina you've got deposits like KSM that's in Seabridge so you've got um, just at this one project you've got 40 million ounces of gold. Like, like Thomas, if I drew, drew a circle around, 20-kilometer circle around TSM um, and Bruce Jack, it's the richest 20 kilometers on the planet. But again, this is an area that until recently had no power, had no roads, and was covered by ice. So we've had 100 years of history, but we're going to have another 100 years of future. And that's where companies like the Olivarden come in and, uh, and, and others, but it's just, a, it's a tremendous area where you're in you're in safe, friendly Canada. It's not, you know, you're not down in Argentina uh, where you've got hundred percent inflation. You're not in Peru where, you know, there, you know, there's huge anti-mining sentiment that's sweeping a lot of South America you're in stable country with a long history, like without mining, you know, we are, we are really naked in the North. We need this industry. And so whether it's, uh, you know, the politicians or the local communities, this is their livelihood. They need this. And, uh, and that gives me a lot of confidence that, um, you know, not only are we going to discover some of the biggest treasures on the planet, but we'll be able to permit them and we'll be able to take them into production
0: that that really is incredible it, with respect to just just how young this district from a, from an exploration perspective is there any analog like that globally like from a uh from an exploration standpoint and and, and i was going to say you know the the, the McClone family right this is this is like the the famous uh, uh, the whole family are the centers of hockey man this is uh, this is legendary stuff
1: oh no and and again it's all about competitive advantage right so you know, and, and, and the competitive advantage is, you know, Rob is a third generation miner from Stewart and, you know, his, you know, not only, you know, does, you know, you know, with all the success that he, and he, and he's had big success. Like I'll tell you just North of this area, you've got, um, you've got the Yukon. Um, And, you know, we refer to the Klondike gold rush, which occurred around the same time of the discoveries of the golden triangle. And I would attribute what I would describe as the Klondike Gold Rush 2.0 to Rob McLeod and his team at Underworld. So Rob um, back in 2007 um, went out and put a, a property into a company that he was a founding director of. He was their vice president of exploration at the time. And they went out and they made a discovery that sparked a rush in the Yukon that led to billions of dollars going into Yukon focused exploration. And, uh, and it, you know, so Rob actually, that, that uh, soil anomaly that he drilled and made a discovery on was then acquired by Kinross for $140 million. And then the neighboring property was, was taken over by what is now today Newmont for $550 million. And so, you know, the Klondike Gold Rush 2.0 was 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 started by some of the technical team that we have working today at Dolly Varden. So yeah, no, we've got a tremendous competitive advantage. You know, our team—they know these rocks, they know the nuance. When you look for comparables, you know, I would say look at any great camp on the planet. You know, you go to go go to some of the great gold mining camps in south africa in nevada in the abate um and, and 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 again if you're looking for direct analog, and i don't know if this audience would would appreciate this but if you look at uh, papua new guinea um, it's it's if we're looking for direct analogs and there's there's projects like there's a there's an active project over there right now k92 it's one of the richest Um, you know, gold mines on the planet, but some of the biggest deposits have been discovered over there. You know, these are 40, 50 million ounce deposits. And uh, so the triangle is a special, it's a special place, but the beauty is you can drive there, you can fly there, you can get there by boat. It's in our backyard. And for me, as somebody who's running a business uh, in this province you know for me it's the same language it's the same time zone it's the same currency I know the laws it's in my backyard and, and I, I couldn't be operating a business at, 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 at
0: any greater ease. And, uh, one point that you made earlier and, and just you know, the key points you made now with respect to operating in BC having the rule of law that, that is you know one of the companies that uh, we're very close to is Agnico. You know, in, in my history of investing, uh, you know, they've they've always had a clear vision that we we want to remain in countries where you know where we can operate, right? And and I think is, are we? Do you think the market is fully appreciating a the the discount rate that should be applied uh, to? Uh, companies operating in, in you know, less, um, you know, less attractive jurisdictions. And, you know, or are they giving you the correct, you know, uh, bump for being in Canada? Uh, I feel like the market isn't appreciating that. And, and that will come in time.
1: Well, I don't know about that. Like, I, you know, I, I won't comment on that. But what I know with certainty is the market is not appreciating miners, and they're not and, and, and where I'll go with that is like I witnessed the best mine finance market of the last hundred years, which was the 2010 market. If you looked at all the metrics from you know all the valuation metrics, it's the best mining finance market we've ever seen. And at that time, how companies would get valued was based on um, you know, how you know their resources in the ground, in some cases, how big their, their land packages were because it gave investors the optionality for for more discovery from an in the ground value, like a, you know, ounce per, um, you know, ounce per share value. We've never seen lower valuations, but I think the market is getting right. The jurisdiction premium. Um, I do think that the market is pretty efficient there, but I just think we're way off in terms of, you know, whether we look at like, um, you know, value per share on a, on a net asset value metric, um, you know, I, I see an opportunity for a, a revaluation of, of two or three times or two or three hundred percent. But that's using very conservative estimates for the metal prices. And and you have to when you're in, in, in my, you know, in my seat. So I'm looking back three year trailing prices. So for example, when I took over Dolly Varden, we were looking at this project through the lens of $12 silver and 1350 gold. Right. And so today, if we looked at the project, we'd probably look at it through the lens of like $17 silver and $1,600 gold. But if we start using the spot prices, or if we look ahead at what these future prices could hold for the metals, um, you know it, it you know it gets
0: pretty interesting for uh, where these companies are going to be valued yeah that it that, and that's the interesting part and i have got the you know the i'll, I'll post the graph um but i uh, basically you know the philly gold and silver stock index has been in a structural bear market relative to gold since 1995 now we've you know, been baselining here for the last called decade but it it um it feels like you know we need the we need the metal to move first, right, and it feels like that first leg is happening.
1: you know what it reminds me of um, It reminds me of two thousand and six. so when I first got into this business, there was a great debate out there that the question was and, and 98% of the financial community believed that gold was never going to go north of $500 an ounce. It was, you know, if you thought gold was going over $500 an ounce, you were one of these tin foil hat wearing conspiracy theorists. You were you were a nut job. And so when gold finally broke 500 there was great disappointment because the mining equities didn't move. You go back and you look at 2006 and you look at the charts and you look at the price of gold and you look at the mining equities. And there was this huge, dis- it, it, it feels very similar to today. I think today is actually it's worse, um, but there was, but what happened was if you go back and you look at May of 2006 Things caught up quickly, and so the gold price ended up when it took out five hundred. It ran up to about seven, call it seven hundred dollars an ounce. In that move, stocks that were trading at fifty cents went to two fifty. So you had, you know, call it a twenty or thirty percent move in the metal in that final uh, move in the spring of 06, But you had a five hundred percent move in equities. And so, I actually think we're going to have a a snap um, reaction in equities, and it's going to come quickly. And you just need to be positioned. And all you have to do, you don't have to go back to 2006. Look at 2020. Look at 2016. Look at how mining equities performed. So, in 2016, we had a move. On, on gold, from about a thousand dollars to fourteen hundred, so you had a forty percent move in the metal. The average miner went up three hundred percent, and um, we saw something very similar after the COVID uh, low in um, March, April of twenty twenty. And you look at the you know how well like it'll take Dolly Vard and silver went from sixteen cents a share on a COVID low to a dollar seventeen on the, uh, this, the the move uh, from silver going from $12 to $30 in the summer of 2020. So today what I look at is you look at a company like Dolly who's got three times more ounces in the ground than it did three years ago. And the company is trading lower than it was in the, in the summer of 2020. So I think those are the opportunities.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Tracy, uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I just have a question, and it's kind of a more of an industry-related question than a company-related question. But how are you seeing bank lending as far as the industry is concerned? I know that like, if you look at oil and gas, for example, you have a lot of uh, banks – not wanting to fund any projects. are you finding that the same in this industry or not? That's a good question. Um, so the the way I'd answer that is, you know, when I look back at that 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 market that I said was the best market, you could you could actually raise all the money you needed for a project via equity. And uh, we've moved to a place where that is no longer the case. And so you know for for the best in class projects, um, there, there is funding available, but um, the, the rates are pretty high. You know, you're looking at, you know, you, you're almost going into the double digits, even for the best projects. But there is, there is, um, there is funding available. So you know, a- ample fund. There's actually more money needed than that, that, You know, for for the right projects.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Um, in just you know talking coming back to that point about you you'll get it when the move happens it happens very quickly um maybe just talk about one thing it's interesting i i look from the covid lows um you know dolly Varden's performance now obviously you you know you you have three expanding through the drill bit has obviously been you know very um you know very powerful for you but Dolly Varden uh in comparison to the Global X Miners ETF, uh Silver Miners ETF. Um, basically um, you guys were up 343% since the COVID lows and uh and the Silver actually ETF is up like 20%. What what's the ch- like maybe you can help <laughs> distill for our audience why that if you, that gulf in performance obviously kudos to Dolly Varden but what is in the index like for an investor we're in the world of ETFification and everyone's like just throw it in the etf but is that necessarily the right strategy for silver and gold investors just given this kind of gulf in performance just between your own name and the index you just maybe you can help our audience understand um the nature of of market cap style investing in silver and why that might not be the best strategy
1: yeah that's a good question so what what has me like I you know again I've been around um, mines for 20 years and I'm focused right now in silver and the reason I'm focused in silver is first of all it's the only commodity it's the only asset class that I'm aware of that hasn't taken out its old historic highs so the price of silver in 1980 was about50 dollars an ounce and we got close to $50 an ounce in 2011, we went to $49 an ounce. So call it 50. And today we're sitting at half that, you know, around $25. And I look at like the case for silver, the fact that there's no substitute for silver that, you know, all these growing uses for silver. And then I look at, where do we get silver? And, and I think one of the reasons you've had despite let's call it a 50% move in the metal. That these underlying equities that historically have performed very well and outperformed uh, the metal have underperformed is it reflects the, sh- the shortage of silver. So these silver miners, like if you really analyze them, they're actually base metal miners or they're gold miners with a silver byproduct. So you actually, the reason they're lagging is they're not really silver. And I think the reason Dolly Varden uh, has done well is 50% of our resource is pure silver. And I I think the other reason is, you know, and and sometimes, um, you know, you you know, you know, hard work, you know, hard work creates, you know, you know, luck and, and, uh, you know, having, you know, making, making some, some smart decisions at the right time. We were very fortunate to always have, ample cash on hand, have very supportive shareholders that were in aligned with our vision. And look, we, 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 we pulled off a very accretive acquisition. Um, You know, we, we, there was moments where the price of silver was $12. There was other moments where the price of silver was $30. We picked the windows to finance and to dilute our company when it was at the higher end of the range. We raised money when we didn't need money. So we were always in a position of strength. Um, We put a team of scientists around the company that focused on the company versus hiring consultants. So because there was somebody out there who every day was going, how do I make this bigger? How do I follow up on that vein? How do I make a new discovery? It's led to some huge technical breakthroughs which have led to discoveries. So accretive acquisitions, new discoveries, Timing the markets well, and then I'm always like those explorers. I'm always looking for who are these other investors that we need to introduce the company to, and so that has led to uh, institutions like Fidelity owning seven and a half percent of the company, and um, and and we're in you know we're we're continuing on that search for introducing this name, and as it becomes more liquid, and as it becomes larger, and as it we find more ounces it's um it, you know the snowball effect happens we've got momentum and um you know we we can create something pretty special now that we've
0: got the stronger base great and with respect to uh that conversation about new investors right you went when i traditionally think about precious metals mining i think you know it's just this you know this oh you know, i want to just say it's an older older group of investors the same group um how do we are you getting new conversations like who are the incremental new buyers are you, talk to you that that you wouldn't have thought you were talk you'd be talking to a couple of years ago that like what's the interest now from the generalist world uh, that you know that wouldn't have had a gold gold or silver allocation before?
1: Well, well, look, I think at the end of the day, um you know investors need. You know they need returns, and I think that the fact that we've had a couple of quarters here, you know, starting in in Q4 of last year and continuing into Q1 of this year, where silver equities and and silver itself and gold um, are 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 bringing returns at a time where you look at some of these big indexes that are down twenty percent. Um, investors are, so it doesn't take a, a lot of work, uh, you know, to get the savvy institutional money, the, the the hedge fund money to look at the space. But I think your question's more around, how do we get young people um, engaged and excited? And I think for me, the most encouraging thing I saw during the pandemic was, you know, people were at home, they were in front of their devices, and you saw these phenomenons, like GameStop and others and in, in different groups, whether it's Reddit. And I look at what um, you know, some of these communities have built, um, whether it's Wall Street Silver or others, where um, you've got a, you know, a, a growing group of people. And, and you look at how that, that group um, understood and supported the cryptocurrency trade and so for me that was the most encouraging thing a lot of people in the in the mining space in precious metals um you know were very anti-crypto but i think it was the the greatest thing that ever happened to to gold because gold all the elements that um support the crypto narrative are inherent in gold and the only difference is we've got a five thousand year history versus a 10 year history And so I think it's, you know, that narrative is going to play really well with the Bitcoin uh, community. And, um, and I'm just encouraged that, you know, whether it's, you know, I I just think there's a, you know, a a demographic that's growing. um, And that is sophisticated and that whether it's through, you know, platforms like Robinhood or other online platforms that, you know, this information is at their fingertips and they can act on it. And it's, you know, this is a space and a story that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and and it can protect investors. And I think we are setting up for one of the greatest runs in all asset classes. It, it unfortunately will probably lead to one of the greatest bubbles the world has ever seen. But um, I think there's a, a huge opportunity for speculators in that moment. But what I'm most interested in is establishing real projects and creating wealth for those communities and for those shareholders along the way.
0: Sean, that, the, that take on crypto is probably the most unique I've heard uh, in the precious metals world, right? Like it, it really is uh, you know, it really is, you, you usually take the uh, uh, Peter Schiffian view, if you will, right? It's a, it's either, you know, that's been the prevailing narrative, but I think what you're saying is actually very profound because how many people have been this interested in central banks? Like, You got to credit bitcoin where where it should be because that's gotten people super interested in the devaluation of uh, of you know of currencies right yeah well i i just think back to
1: it's something very simple and like anecdotal for my own life is i've got a a young brother-in-law right and so yeah this young brother-in-law likes to bet on sports and during covid you couldn't really bet on sports a lot of these major sports had shut down so what was still what was the few games in town right well the stock market was still you know still open right so that millennial crew that would you know maybe make that sports bet we're now looking at the game stops of the world or or looking at dogecoin but you know they're now and and they got they understood and and and, and um, supported a narrative about something outside of the banking system. You know, people now see it. it. It's no longer, you know, like you can't deny it. When you go to the grocery store, when you get your 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 electricity bill, when you put gas in your tank, inflation is on everyone's mind. So this idea of how do i maintain my lifestyle how do i how do i protect myself and i think that we the, the answer for me is gold and really what i've learned for, and, and this goes back to a, a quick story here so i helped build a gold mine from 2004 to 2010 so we were very lucky it was the best mining finance market we made a discovery we raised 500 million dollars we took a company from nothing to a billion for valuation uh, we took a stock from seven cents to five dollars. Um, now and we went into production. we were producing 80,000 ounces a year we had 600 employees it was a you know great I was I started uh, I was 22 23 years old, helped build a, a big company. Now I made more money on a passive silver investment in six months than I did building a gold mine over six and a half years. So for me I love gold I understand gold. You know, my family's from India. So from a very young age, you know, I was indoctrinated in the idea of this is how you pass pass wealth through generation. You pass it through, you know, real estate and you pass it through gold. Um, So I, I get that. But the reason I'm focused on silver is silver has got the leverage. It's, you know, Gold is for kings, silver is for gentlemen. And there's a lot more gentlemen out in this world than there are kings. And so, I, and, and from a price point, Thomas, it's not everybody can go out and afford to pay $2,000 to get an ounce of gold. But you know what? We can all find $25 to buy an ounce of silver. And I think when the masses switch on to that, that's what took silver from pennies to $50 in 1980. It's what took it from $4 to $50 in the 2000s. And this time, the run starting in the 20s, where are we going? And if we look at things like, what's the natural ratio in the earth's crust? It's about 15 or 16 to one. So for every one ounce of gold, there's about 15 or 16 ounces of silver from a mining perspective. For every one ounce of gold that's getting mined, there's about eight ounces of silver that are getting mined. But what's the current ratio to silver and gold? I haven't looked at it recently, but it's like 80 to one and historically it's been 15 to one. So my bet is we're going to get closer To thirty to one, maybe twenty to one, and in that, so there's there's for me, silver's my way of getting more gold, and I think we're setting up for one of the greatest moves in silver, and uh, and again, growing industrial use, you know, there's going to be a two hundred million ounce deficit this year. Where are we getting that silver? And most of it gets thrown off as a byproduct. Like 70% of the world's silver comes out of as a byproduct. Well, those copper mines, those base metal mines, they're not getting permitted. They're not being discovered. They're not getting into production. So there's going to be a huge silver shortage. And if you look at what uh, auto manufacturers are doing in lithium or even copper, there's going to be big corporates that try to get their um, exposure to silver. And the beauty about silver, it's the same thing as as some of these other um, commodities like, uh, like lithium or, or uranium where the price of silver could actually go up 10 X and it's not going to impact the products. It's not going to impact the cell phone or the solar panel. So, you know, you could have $200 silver and it's still going to be um, consumed and used and there's no substitute for it. So I really think that silver is the, is, is my, you know, investment call of a lifetime. And to, and, and I was deliberate in, I wanted to find it in a place where I felt like there was a rule of law and there's an, an abundance of it at some of the, you know, best grades on the
0: planet. Yeah, Sean, it, it just on that gold, uh, gold, silver ratio, uh, to me, this feels like sil- a silver investment uh, versus, say, a gold, right? Y- you get the coil of, A, obviously gold moving higher, but you have this uh, gold-silver ratio, which currently sits around the, the 80 times you, you stay. Now, as-, as you were saying, right, in-, in the world's crust, the ratio is 16 times silver to one. So let's just say maybe that should be a final resting place. But just you don't have to go very far back The global financial crisis, um, it was 32 times. So even if gold were to sit flat, we theoretically should be in a place where if just silver were to get back to that spot, we're 32 times. Now, could you help me understand in in, a, in this you know 10 plus year period? How did we go from 32 times to blowing out to 80 times? Like why did like why did that silver ratio blow out like that? Um,
1: because 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 first silver is tiny. Like gold's a real market like gold is you know one of the you know fifth most significant traded assets on the planet it's liquid it's been a, you know it's a real market silver's tiny and so and 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 gold really is just you know apart from you know jewelry and even for for some of that ju- jewelry demand it is store of wealth demand so really gold is money and but silver has a huge industrial component which I see as a positive because people has, have been using it as money for just as long as they've been using gold as money, so it's precious, but it's also being consumed. So all the gold that's ever been produced, we still have with us, whereas silver gets consumed and it's not valuable enough to recycle it in the small uh, uh, increments that it is being utilized in, in industry. So, So the reason I think the silver-gold ratio, it actually went to 125 to one in March of 2020. It's and in recorded history, it's never been, it's never gone there. So, you know, uh, the low on silver was 125 to one in, in the spring of 2020. And I think the reason it went there, it, it and silver is one of these things where silver is totally irrelevant until you're in the, last innings of a bull market for precious metals. And we're getting there. Like we are getting to a point where, you know, gold's going to break out silver will outperform. And the example I'll give you is you don't need to go back any further than 2019 to 2020. So we had gold lift out of a gold was in a a six and a half year uh, trading range of 1100 to 1300. And in the spring of 2019 gold broke above that range And it took gold 13 months to make a 50% move. It went from about 1350 to call it 2050 in August of 2020. And so 13 months, 50% move. Silver made that move, made that 50% move in six weeks, not 13 months, six weeks. So my thinking is like, I think we're going to see an average gold price in the next few decades. Of thirty five hundred dollars an ounce, I think that's a really conservative estimate. It's a sensible estimate, um, you know. So when we look at the period from say twenty twenty to twenty forty, I think you get an average price of thirty five hundred dollars an ounce. Now, if you if you applied, um, you know, a twenty to one ratio, where does that get you for silver? Right, it gets you more than a triple. And so I think um, and a sustainable one and something where. You know, again, in this electrification of the world, which we're moving into, silver is is um, is the most you know conductive metal on the planet. And again, in, in there is no substitute for it. And the you know whether it's double sided solar panels in China or you know whether it's electronics, like the the usage uh, the usages for silver are growing. Um,
0: but I think what ultimately is going to drive its price is investment demand. <laughs> wonderfully put uh and Sean just with respect to Dolly Varden um, you, you've built you've taken the company from 20 million market cap to the just over 240 uh today what how do, how do we grow the, how are you looking at growing Dolly Varden going forward and, and what are the key catalysts that, that we should be looking at as as investors
1: well listen I think it, the junior mining business is one of the most difficult businesses. And it's quite binary. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of, you know, sub $20 million companies running around either trying to get capital or trying to get off the ground. And, and I think that when you have a company launch, and Dolly's launched, it's gone from 20. And I think actually the market cap today is 273. So we've gone from 20 million to 273, and so for some investors they'd say, "Hey, Sean, why didn't you call me when you took over three years ago and the stock was 25 cents? You know, it's now a dollar today. You know, it's already moved up 400%. I'm not interested. I want to, you know, I, I, but for me in this business, like there was a company in Canada that was recently acquired uh, for 1.8 billion dollars. The company was called Great Bear Resources. Started at 15 cents, was acquired at 30 dollars a share. Um, it's it's almost easier once you like. We've got at Dolly, we've got $26 million in the bank. We have no debt. We've got a big resource in the ground in a safe area. We're finding more. We're expanding. It's it, I, my experience is it's easier to go from $1 to $5 than it is to go from $0.10 cents to, to $0.50. Cents. And uh, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get attention, you're trying to get that capital, you're trying to get alignment. But at Dolly Varden, we've attracted miners. We've attracted people that, you know, corporates that are actually mining this stuff that need to replace their resources. We've attracted, you know, billion-dollar institutional funds. We've attracted billionaire investors. We've got the liquidity. Going forward, we just got to keep doing what brought us here, and that is growing the mineral inventory. So I see Dolly Varden as a bank. So when I took over this company, there was roughly, you know, in all categories you know, 40 million ounces of silver in the ground. There's, you know, more than three, almost four times that today. Um, The treasury has gone from 3 million to uh, 26 million. So that, so the the bank that I'm, the bank balance that I'm looking at is how many ounces of silver do we have in the ground? How much cash do we have in the ground? And as long as we're growing those numbers, I think that the value of the company needs to reflect that. And again, if we get a re rating on silver, if the price of silver, you know, moves up and and what we need to appreciate here is a $5 move in silver is not a 20% move in Dolly Varden. If we look at the sensitivities, like, you know, historically, if you look at this company for every 1% move in silver, we're seeing a 3% move in our share price. And, um, And so I, you know, I I just think that we're positioned to give investors torque and leverage to rising prices. But if you look at what I've done in the last three years, I've been in a flat environment where you just look at last year, my peers were down 35%. We were up. 35%. So we had an outperformance of about 70%. Well, why? Why were we growing at a time when the metal prices were flat or lower? It's because we're increasing that mineral inventory. We're increasing the quote unquote bank balance of the company. And I think ultimately if we continue to do that in an accretive way and we're sensible and we're always playing from a place of strength, I think we'll we will, you know, maintain. Be, being able to maintain building value for our shareholders. And I, look, at the end of the day, every decision I make, and it sounds like uh, you know, something hokey or obvious, but really I ask myself, is this you know, accretive for our shareholders? Is this in the best interest of shareholders? Is this going to be good for the share price? And, um, and I think if we continue in that, uh, in that theme, I think uh, we'll continue to drive value.
0: Thank you so much, John. That' a great way to put it, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll just bring it full circle. One of my early mentors, uh, John Pepperell, who was, uh, who was a CIO of TD Asset Management. When I started uh, in resource investing, you know, just you know, I was putting out different ideas. He goes, listen, both in oil and in in in, uh, in mining, uh, you want to own. The companies that are increasing their, their mineral resource uh their barrels you, you want to own those that are that, that when they grow that that insulates you against the commodity price because that itself is very volatile. Um, it, it's clear you, you built something special here here at dolly and uh uh thank you for a phenomenal overview of, of- I,
1: I, yeah. and i just i just i just gotta say it's all i'm actually probably the smallest component of this it's my team it's my VPX Rob Benigmont, it's our board, it's the shareholders. I'm working with the smartest people on the planet and I'm supported by some of the best shareholders that are, have bought into our vision and are giving me a chance to build a business. And Without those elements um, and supportive investment bankers and, and all the things that you need, uh, none of this is possible. So um, I just got to give a
0: shout out to everybody else because they're really the the magic. No, for sure. And, you know, we we, pro- we should get uh, we should get Rob. Uh, we should do a spaces with Rob. That'd be it'd, it'd be great to, uh, to you know to hear the stories and you know how how his family has you know just just you know, just to well, get. A-
1: and and, and and Rob's Rob's actually doing something pretty cool in the triangle. He's got a company called Black Wolf Copper and Gold, and they're drilling uh, a target. It's the best undrilled target in the Golden Triangle. And, um, you know, you, so you should have Rob on. Yep. And, and yeah, I've learned so much from him, and it's a pleasure to work with him. So, yep. yeah, absolutely. Wonderful.
0: Uh, Sean, thank you so much for a phenomenal overview of of the, the, the gold and silver mining sector, macro tailwinds, uh, BC's golden a triangle and how we should think about gold and silver mining stocks. I, and-
1: one last thing, one last thing I want to say, and it's uh, it's our first nations partners, the Nishka. Yeah. And, you know, you know, a lot of guys talk about ESG and they talk about, you know, the certainty, but I'll tell you it, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you looking at this from what are the next hundred years going to look like? That's how the big companies are planning. That's how our First Nations partners are planning. And we as investors, you know, I know we're not going to be here for 100 years, but if we take that approach, um, like the, the, you know, traders make money, but investors create wealth. And if we approach this from the standpoint of what's the end game here, how big can this project be? Like this could be a, you know, a really big you know, uh, wealth changing opportunity here. And I think that's what the Golden Triangle brings. And I, and Dolly Varden is, is a part of that. And we're starting to see the first inning of that move and that shift and that wealth transfer. But there's so much more work we have to do and, and now we have the money to do it and we've got the team to do it. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an awesome year and I look forward to putting out a lot of results. And if they're anything like the results we had last year um, you know we're going to have similar move. We've, we've seen a 300 percent move in the share price in September, so we're
0: we're gearing up for another another big leg here. A very exciting times ahead, Sean. I really appreciate uh, uh, taking the time. But uh, before before a long uh, long weekend ahead of us, and uh, guys, uh, Dolly Varden. Uh, th- that's Sean Gun Kun. CEO uh, and you know we'll we'll continue the mining 101 series. I want to thank every uh Tracy, thank you so much uh for joining us here and Margo Scott, Sean, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me and thank you everybody for taking the time to uh, to learn more. Thank you.